Welcome back, listeners, and welcome to a fresh new episode of Hindsight is Horrifying. I am your hostess, Darth Jader, and I have my co-host with me today, Jason. Hello, everybody. And today we are looking at an absolute classic, uh, Back to the Future, which was made in 1985. So, Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about Back to the Future? Well, you know, Back to the Future is one of those movies that if you don't already know the plot, uh, I'm a little surprised and honestly ashamed of you. Um, 100%. Yeah, because how could you not have at least caught caught it on TV? Uh, or do do young people watch TV? Is that still a thing? TVs exist, right? I think they exist, but I've heard that there's this newfangled thing called streaming. Mm. I'm not sure what it is. I think it has to do with water. Yeah, I'm again it. Um <laughs> That's, that's, that's hoodoo, Dave. Um, no, uh, Back to the Future, uh, as you said, uh, 1985 classic, uh, directed by uh, Robert Zemeckis, starring Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd, and a lot of other people. Uh, but a actually, few others. <laughs> yeah, but not, not originally starring Michael J. Fox. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, one of the interesting things about this movie is that they actually, uh, Eric Stoltz, was the original Marty McFly, uh, which is, you know, it's pretty common for people to be cast and before production they make some changes or or maybe they're eyeballing a certain actor uh, and then they just decide to go to a different direction. But in this case, Eric Stoltz actually was Marty McFly. They filmed, and I think it cost something like three million bucks Yowza. to go back and refilm all of Stoltz's scenes that he had already filmed oh my God. Uh, with Michael J. Fox as Marty McFly. Because apparently Eric Stoltz, he, he did a really good job, but he was, uh, he was too dramatic. He did a very dramatic performance as Marty McFly. And, well, I mean, he's the mask kid, so what do you yeah. really expect out of that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and, and so they, um, they wanted, obviously, this to be a comedy. And so they actually went back and they they uh, they brought in Michael J. Fox and it became the movie that we all know and love. But there, there's actually still photos out there. There might even be some video on YouTube somewhere. Uh, but I know I've seen still photos of Eric Stoltz uh, on set in costume as Marty McFly. I absolutely have to find that on the Internet now. I had yeah. no idea that was a thing. Now, the uh, the plot, for those of you who don't know it. And you really should hang your heads in shame. Yeah, losers. Is uh, 1980s kid, uh, Michael J. Fox, high school kid, typical 80s movie. Marty McFly. Marty McFly. He is sort of down on his luck. Uh, he's an average Joe kid, rides a skateboard, plays his, uh, his guitar, uh, has a, a pretty girlfriend, um, has a principal who hates him, is always getting in trouble at school, but not for anything too serious. Pretty much your typical 80s teenage hero. Mm-hmm. Um, Marty has two things that sort of separate him from the, the stereotype. One of which is the fact that his parents are lovable but incredible losers. Yeah, it's depressing how, yeah, a, how uh, sad his parents are. Yeah, Crispin Glover and Leah Thompson play uh, George McFly, and I'm actually drawing a blank. Uh, I can't remember 
Marty's mom's name. Uh, it'll come to me. Uh, uh, the the former slut, can we call her that? Because she spends most of her time telling Marty what a good kid she was, and then it turns out yeah. she was uh, she was getting around, not yeah. to slut shame, but the fact that she shames her kid for wanting to have sex, and then yeah. it turns out she was getting pretty busy herself back in the day. Yeah, it sort of makes you wonder if, if uh, Marty was planned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it really does. Were um, any kids back then planned? I don't know. I don't think so. They and, it, they were more just considered inevitable because yeah. that's what you did. You grew up. You got married. You had kids. Yeah. So. Well, and you know that as soon as you know George tapped that keg, he he was he was going back pretty frequently. And I'm sure Crispin Glover was happy to take this role because in what other universe would he ever wind up with such a beautiful wife? Oh yeah, with Leah, yeah. Leah Leah Thompson, who is who is. Uh, I heard an interesting story about Leah Thompson the other day. Do who, tell. You know, for those of you who don't know who she is, uh, she was in Caroline in the City, uh, great old sitcom, uh, kind of obscure nowadays. Not too many people remember it. I haven't seen her in anything in a while. Yeah, Caroline in the City was really good. And she's done a lot of other stuff. But I found out the other day that she was a um, she was a ballerina and a dancer. Oh, wow. Uh, that was that was sort of her professional background before she was ever uh really uh, an actress and uh her name is lorraine in this movie by lorraine the way. that's it lorraine well anyway leah thompson was actually uh she was up for um you know she was a professional ballerina and she was told that she would never be a professional ballerina she could not succeed she would Never, never, never uh, fulfill her dream because she was too stocky. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) Yeah. In what universe? Well, apparently in the universe of Mikhail Baryshnikov, because he's actually the one who told her, you're too stocky, you'll never be a prima ballerina. And you wonder why those people are so messed up. That's crazy, especially since he he did his own stint on Sex and the City. It's so they both splashed into acting at some point. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so she decided to uh, give up on that and uh, go into acting and you know, here we are. But anyway, so Marty McFly has two loser parents uh who love each other but uh are uh, little more than uh getting by. But more importantly, Marty has a very good friend uh, played by Christopher Lloyd, and that is Dr. Emmett Brown. Which is the most inexplicable part of the movie. (laughs) But, you know, forget all the crazy science and all the mad experiments and all the awesome stuff that happens. Why the hell is this 16-year-old kid or 18-year-old, however old he is, why is he friends with a disgraced nuclear physicist? Does that ever get explained? Well, that's actually one of the things I like about it is seeing movies, you know, there, there were certain things that you could do in the past that you could just have something as a fact in the beginning of your movie, have it accepted, and then move on and not explain it. And as long as you didn't go too far with it, you know... Uh, that you don't was, get into the meta nature of it. Yeah, honestly. that was fine. You know, you could come up with a, all kinds of plausible scenarios. Why exactly, um, or how exactly Marty McFly and, and Doc Brown became friends? You know, um, they never established in the uh, in the movie how um, how long they've even known each other. Well, and the only person who really brings any light to how strange Marty's relationship is with. The doc is uh, the stickler on tardy is Mr. Strickland, right? Who is just out to get Marty all the time, and he makes fun of him and his dad, and yeah. calls them losers. He's the only one that even thinks it's strange that Marty hangs out with a 
with a much older nuclear physicist. So. Well, you know, it was the uh, it was the eighties. Uh, you know, it, you you could do stuff a little bit differently. You know, you could have an older friend, and nobody really said too much about it. Uh, James Tolkien, uh, the actor who plays Strickland, uh, he I, I love him because he basically in this movie and in Top Gun, it's he plays the same character oh god he is in top gun oh yeah yeah i forgot about that yeah he's he's in top gun and basically if you gave strickland a cigar it would be the same character oh yeah exactly you know uh just coming down on the fun yeah maverick you're a slacker (laughs) you'll always be a slacker hey we love those good-hearted slackers and that's marty he ended up being uh one of the repertoire characters in uh the A&E Nero Wolf series, uh, which meant that he was in basically every episode of that show, but he always played a different character. And it was really fun because it was nice to actually see that actor playing different characters and actually not always being the same guy. Yeah. Um, But uh, so anyway, so Doc Brown, uh, who, and, and I love that they established this in basically a throwaway line. Doc Brown says, uh, I've spent my entire family fortune, uh, on this, this project. Uh, so it establishes that Doc Brown comes from money. Yes. Uh, he was probably somebody who didn't have to work. So he got into science. Um, and he, he, like you do. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, (laughs) Hey, how awesome would it be if people like Paris Hilton, instead of being, you know, famous for no reason. Right. What if Paris Hilton as a young girl had said, Hey, I have all this money. I think I'll become a great scientist. Or, you know, put it toward a foundation kind of like Michael J. Fox did in real life. Yeah. Which, uh, interesting fact, the awesome Nikes that he wears in this movie, he partnered with Nike, with the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's, he partnered with Nike to actually build 89 uh, pairs of the Nike Mag shoe, and it was that limited release, and then they auctioned off most of the shoes to raise money for a faster cure for Parkinson's. So... That's a good use of your time and money, but yeah, Paris Hilton, I'm not so sure. Interesting that, you know, because it, it was Reebok in the second movie, because that was, uh, he had the uh, the self-tying laces. and oh, that's I, I, right. I, Back to the Future too. so fun, their view of what is now the past. Gotcha. You know, um, but, um, so Doc Brown, and, and by the way, we've, we as always, we have the movie playing in the studio right now, and we're we're deep in... The act one establishing every single thing that's going to happen in the movie phase. Everything is being established right now. With a special emphasis on Marty's one goal, which is to borrow his dad's car on the weekend so he can get laid. Yeah. I mean, look, 80s high school kid. That's that's what you were going to do. Pretty much the focus. Yeah. You know, we've established that his dad is a wimp uh, who works for a guy named Biff, who is a bully um yeah, his Biff is a complete tool yeah um the uh every every aspect and this actually i think it was ucla that i, th- I think it was them they they named this the example of a perfect screenplay and it really is because this is textbook everything that's going to pay off at the end of the movie is being established within the first 20 minutes of the movie and you have that callback quality later where yeah it all comes full circle yeah i mean the enchantment under the sea dance is established the clock tower being you know an important point that's established right at the beginning 
uh, how his parents met, you know, being hit by a car and all that other stuff. Uh, it's 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 all right there. Yeah, Biff's relationship with the dad. Yeah. It's, everything is established. But um, one of the things I didn't really think about is this is one of the few time-traveling movies that does not follow the ultimate time-traveling rule, which is you are not supposed to interfere with time. Right. It's kind of the point of the movie. Yeah, and they have to change things in order to make sure that Marty and his siblings exist. Because originally, his mom wasn't going to wind up with his dad. Uh, And we'll get to that weirdness later, but... um, There he is, Mr. Rapey himself. (laughs) Biff, doing the same old bullying that he did back in high school, which we come to find later in the movie. But uh, just what was some of the adult humor that inspired you wanting to watch this movie for the podcast? Well, it's really more of a, you know, it's as a kid, you know, and growing up with this movie, um, it's it's there. It's not really hidden, but you don't really you cannot as, you know, a 10 year old appreciate the the sheer stark terror of going back in time meeting your mom and your mom wanting to have sex with you yeah i don't know why that didn't bother us more as kids i I, guess it's just that innocence of the age well yeah exactly because when you're a kid it's like aha mom mom wants to you know be your boyfriend haha that's silly as opposed to oh my god my mom wants to have sex with me well yeah and little (laughs) kids don't have a concept of what you know relationships really are until they're older like I, when I was a babysitter, I'd have kids be like, I'm going to marry my daddy when I grow up. And they just have no concept of what that really means. Right. They just think that that means that they'll be together forever. And that's, right. that's really yeah. as deep as the thought process goes. But yeah, one it, of the comments I do, uh, I remember Marty's mom saying, but I didn't really know what it meant back in the day was when she's admonishing Marty for wanting to go driving with his girlfriend and... Uh, the girlfriend, I think, calls Marty at the house, and McFly's mom is like, any girl who calls boys is just asking for right, trouble. Right, right, and right, I didn't really appreciate what that meant back in the day, but now I see that she was just straight-up slut-shaming Marty and his girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, she she basically was saying, your, your girlfriend's a slut. You know, she called you twice? Oh, what a whore. How desperate. You know, and it's funny because, again, you know, as a kid, I, you know, it's like, well, what? That's she's just being silly because she doesn't want, you know, her to call. I actually dated a girl in high school whose mother would not let her call me. Really? Seriously. Yeah. 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 It comes across a little desperado, I suppose. And But I mean, I'm talking like after we've been dating for like six months, she mm-hmm. wouldn't let her call me. I had to call her. Boys, you know, girls don't call boys. Well, girls, you're never going to land a man with that domineering activity. You just have to make sure that he comes to you. Yeah, yeah. This this woman... Uh, Tips uh, and tricks for landing a husband. I, pr- I probably shouldn't share this, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Oh, um, God. No, this girl, her mom. <laughs> All right, for everyone in, uh, in uh, uh, radio land, uh, just close your eyes, unless you're driving... Don't close your eyes. Yes, that would be very bad. Okay. Um, To imagine the mother of this girl, and you know who you are, just imagine a slightly uglier version of about late 90s Tom Petty with less hair. Oh, dear God. And you've got her. That's a horrifying (laughs) image. 
I was about to say, were you dating Carrie in high school? Because it sounds like it, it was pretty oh, much no. her oh, mom. Oh, no, no, no. That would have been way better. Oh, wow. That would have been so much better. I, I would have, I would have like, gone to Sunday dinners. <coughs> oh, dear me. So anyway, yeah. So, uh, so there's a whole theme. You know, the, in the very, the first time that Marty, after he goes back in time, the first time he sees his mom is through a window in her bra getting undressed while his dad is spying on her creeping out <laughs> super hard in a tree across the street yeah with binoculars and you know in the 80s it was sufficient for marty to go dad's a peeping tom yeah and nowadays you know you look and you go no oh, your dad's a sick perv no your your dad's going up in a tree spying on your mom while she takes her clothes off and let's be honest we know how this is going to end, you know. We know what George McFly's evening is going to look like. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, as a kid, you just don't think that. Yeah, you just yeah. don't come to the inevitable conclusion that he'll be flying solo later off of yeah, the material yeah, that yeah. he's gaining right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, he's, oh, you know, and he doesn't have a camera or anything, so it's all going to be, you know, mental imagery. Um, and uh, he'll have to execute a manual override. Oh, dear God. <laughs> yeah, you just... The innuendo of it is you, like I said, you just don't follow through to that inevitable conclusion. And even at the at the scene in the beginning of the movie where uh, they're sitting around for dinner, Leah Thompson, uh, who looks amazing as an old alcoholic, yeah, um, you know, as she's talking about George and the first time he kissed her, you see her starting to, you see that engine starting to warm up a little bit, <laughs> and <laughs> well, and she, but she has these rose colored glasses on how they yeah, met because. Yeah. She never knew that her future husband or past boyfriend, however you want to phrase it, she didn't realize that George was in a tree staring at her creepily while she got undressed in her room. She just thought that her dad almost ran him over with the car because he falls out of the tree. Yeah. And she thought it was kind of a meet cute, almost like destiny. Well, and it had to have been too because it had to have been more than once because when Marty gets hit... Lorraine's dad says another kid, um, he either says, like, I hit another kid or another kid jumped out at me. Oh, God. So, so it, this it, is a common occurrence. Yeah, so it makes it clear. It, the implication is that George has been up there before, but there's another interpretation of that, which is that Lorraine is an exhibitionist, and she very deliberately, because, you know, anybody walking down the street... You didn't actually have to be in the tree. Yeah, because we could see it from the camera angle where Marty was. Yeah, we could see it perfectly clear. George could have stood on the ground with binoculars and seen everything he needed to see. So you have to wonder if Lorraine... And and based on the fact that Lorraine, as soon as she meets Marty... Undresses him. (laughs) Yeah, is, is just absolutely... And she's thrown herself at him. I think it's fair to say that Lorraine probably... If she didn't get around... And I don't think she did, but I do think she probably was in the habit of putting on a little show up in that window. Oh, I think that I think that there were other people who had uh, who. Oh, had, the, George is not the only guy climbing up into that tree for sure. And here we have it: the AMC DeLorean. Oh yes, a car built of stainless steel and cocaine. <laughs> um. And back in 1985, just the impressive nature of because Doc has that dramatic reveal of the DeLorean where. 
you know, uh, the back of the truck comes out and then a ramp comes down on the pavement and the DeLorean just backs into the parking lot. That yeah. was... And it, it, interesting, too, we're about 20 minutes into the movie when this happens, and it's the first time we're 20 minutes in before we actually get the Back to the Future theme. Yes. So the theme is really tied to the car. You know, it's tied to the adventure. Before the the time traveling begins, the theme is not present. And, you know, uh, this was, um, oh, God, uh, I cannot believe I'm forgetting this. Uh John Williams? No, no, no. It's not John Williams. It's not James Horner. It's not Jerry Goldsmith. It None is... of the bigs. <laughs> no, it was. It was... Um, uh... We'll come back to it. Yeah, but yeah, But yeah. this part always upset me as a kid because... Oh, it, it did me too. Because Doc <clears throat> is obviously experimenting with animals, a.k.a. his dog, Einstein. Einstein. I hated that because he puts the dog... Why does the dog need to be in the car? I just don't understand that. It's a remote-controlled car, so why does somebody even need to be in the driver's seat? Well, to make sure that it was safe for, for a person. Make well, sure it wouldn't, you know, kill a person. Just gambling on poor Einstein's life, which always upset me as a kid. Well, that's how confident Doc was. Doc, Doc, Doc Brown didn't think that, uh, that there was any risk. Um, what is funny, and I didn't get this at all as a kid, but I... I watch it now, and I just marvel. Alan Silvestri. I was, yep, I just pulled it up. Ha! You beat me to it. Alan Silvestri. That's how my brain works. Um, nice. Slowly. Um, there's no reason for them to stand in front of the car. Yeah, he's taking just some crazy risks. And, you. I mean, it was probably done for the style of the movie. Well, and of course the, it was, The yeah. moment more exciting, obviously. But you have Marty and Doc filming their own exploits where they're standing in front of this time traveling machine this car that is rushing through a jc penny's parking lot so it's I a it's a ton of stainless steel and cocaine running towards them at 88 right miles them, an hour yeah headed right at them and einstein is very calmly just sitting in the car while this while it just zooms past and awesome special effects oh, great yes. industrial light and magic work and then, of course, the signature streaking of the yeah. the fire that goes between their feet. And then they turn around and you can see that it's obviously not yeah. really there. Which, you know, I guess that fire doesn't burn clothing. I suppose not. Um, a special time-traveling fire. Yeah. But, uh, so anyway, to get back to the plot, um, it's a, it's a, it's a fish-out-of-water story, mainly, um... Because it's a, because what happens is, and this is actually the part that disturbed me as a kid, the part where Doc Brown gets shot by the Libyans. Yeah, that was, that was kind of a plot <clears throat> twist. You didn't really expect that. I mean, he stole their plutonium, so you know that yeah, yeah. he made somebody angry because that's on the news. And like you said, that was set up very nicely. Everything yeah. was set up in the beginning of the yep. movie. But you see on the news reporting that, oh, this plutonium has gone missing and it turns out Doc stole it in order to make the DeLorean work. Yeah, and it's and, like, I don't know how they found me. You're in a parking lot in a mall in your hometown. Yeah. Where I mean, did... third graders could find you. It's pretty obvious, but he he does steal the plutonium, which uh, jumps us up to the catalyst of the movie and why we even have a plot is because Doc gets killed. Mm -hmm. And so Marty has to go into the past to save Doc, essentially. Yeah. But, uh, well, one... but th th that's not, no, he goes into the past though to, he doesn't mean to, 
you know, he goes into the past purely by by accident because he's trying to get away from the Libyans. Oh, that's right, because he hits 88 miles an hour yeah. and jumps into the past. You're right. Yeah. All right. My okay. bad. See if, let's see if you can do 90. Like, could cars not do that back then? I guess not. I, I think cars could go 90 back then. That car couldn't, so. you know, because, of course, the Libyans are, for some reason, in a Volkswagen microbus. Of course. I, that that always struck the, me. They're going to go solve a mystery after this. Well, yeah, it's like, are the Libyans, are they all stoned? I mean, is, <laughs> like, Who knows? did they murder some hippies and take their car? Um, well, one joke that I never picked up on as a kid, which I thought was pretty funny is it, well, it's not even a joke, but it's funny now to consider because Doc is talking about the time travel and what he wants to accomplish with it. And he tells Marty that he wants to live beyond his years into the future. And only, it's only 25 years into the future that he's looking to go to. And what's really hilarious about that is that it's been more than 25 years oh, yeah. since and this movie came out and Christopher Lloyd is still alive. Yeah, so. he's, he's still producing Modern Family on, uh, on ABC. <laughs> I had no idea he was a producer on oh, the yeah. show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that's one of the interesting choices that they make. And I, I think it was because they were visualizing sequels and, and, and a, or a sequel and a prequel or, or whatever is that they, you know, they bookend it to 25 years which going 25 years in the past is safe um, because we know what that looked like. And it's not that hard to recreate, you know, I mean, what was 25 years ago from 2018, 1997. I, my ma- I, I don't do math. <laughs> he can't <clears throat> math good, but, um, wait, what would that be? 25 years ago. I'm yeah, 30 20... and it's okay. 2018. So, can you still not math now? No, I'm not doing it. I'm wait. Oh, now no, you're just refusing. No, no, now I'm just petulantly refusing to. Anyway, um, yeah. no, but you think about it, though it it would not be that hard to go back and see 1993 um, to recreate that, you know, accurately. Well, you would slip up, I think, because so much technology has advanced so far since 1993. Because in 1993, we were still using phones that were mounted on walls and. You you know, we didn't really have the internet yeah. everywhere like we do. Now we have these devices in our pockets that has a vast, endless amount of information on it. And what do we use it right. for? Videos of cats and stuff like that. So yeah, well, we've made extravagant use of these but, devices. But it's so fascinating to think that they set the sequel, you know, it, it was either 25. It, it's funny because in the beginning of the movie, he says 25 years. and the end of the movie, he says 30. I don't remember the year he goes to. He goes to 2015. Because there, 2015. Was, there was a huge joke uh, when we hit 2015 where they were like, wait a minute. Where's my hoverboard? Where's right. this? Where's that? Where's it, pretty much everything that was promised? Yeah, the internet had a field day with it. Because I even remember that from Nickelodeon when they would ask little kids what they thought uh, the year 2000 was going to be like. And this is in 1994. Yeah. So six years off. And they're like, yeah. kids think, oh, we're going to be like Star Trek and we're going to have flying cars. It's a, you really thought stuff was going to change that drastically in no. six years. But but, but we do have uh, an Amazon Alexa enabled uh, big mouth Billy Bass. So we have that. That just that that's I a, didn't need to know that that was that's a thing. real. I'm, I'm sad. That's totally real. I did not need to know that. But it just. I don't know. They they did the same sort of assumption with the sequel. They thought that 2015 was going to be far more advanced than it turned out to be. Yeah. And no. don't get me wrong. We've made incredible advancements since 1985. So but cool. Well, yeah, yeah. So um, um, getting back to the, you know, to the sort of the theme 
the the things that you don't get and the obvious ones are the fact that you know Lorraine Marty's mom is kind of trampy just a scotch yeah um and but she does have good taste though because she wasn't gonna let Biff in there that wasn't happening yeah she she didn't like Biff from the get-go because he just pesters the hell out of her all the time right when they're in school he's just poking her and tickling her and stuff and you know it's obviously unwelcome contact right exactly and it's you know it, it it's uh the other angle though the other part of it that was that was humor that i never really appreciated as a kid was the fact that you know going back in time and meeting your dad and i think a lot of us have i think we've sort of thought about this you know if i went back in time to when you know my dad was my age would we be friends you know huh it's an interest or if i went back to high school or, you know, uh, when my dad and I have been friends in high school, you know. And you gotta wonder. You do, because I think for most people, even if they don't want to admit it, the answer is probably no. Most likely, because it, I think it just depends on your parent, honestly, because yeah. some parents have a very different persona once they become a parent. Right. They become strict or they become whatever the case may be, but some parents... You know, the kind that let you smoke weed in the house as long as you're doing it at home where they can watch you. Mm-hmm. Those parents might have been a more likely case to be friends with yeah. their high school age yeah. kid. But, uh, yeah, so it just, I, I doubt, I doubt Marty would actually naturally have wound up being friends with his dad because he's, no. Marty's more outgoing, even though he's sort of downtrodden by the powers that be. Right. He's still pretty cool. He's got a pretty girlfriend, like you said. Um, yeah, Marty, Marty is definitely not his father. No, because his dad is the typical, you know, picked on kid who does the bully's homework and he grows it to be that person as well, where he's still doing Biff's work and Biff is inexplicably his boss because Biff is, he's obviously an idiot. Whereas George McFly is a very smart person, but yeah, he's just the, he's a very stereotypical well, but, but that's really the lesson of the movie, though, is that um, the solution to your problems is to become more violent. Because as soon as George becomes violent, everything's fine. I mean, like the guy who cuts in at the dance, at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, um, you know, when Marty starts to fade out. Um, I mean, George doesn't walk up and go, no, I'm dancing with her. He put, He knocks the guy on the ground. Yeah. So violence solves everything. Well, he's violent against Biff, and then he's violent at the dance. And you have to say, like, Marty is definitely George's kid because his solution to solve this whole problem with being in the past and trying to get back to the future and saving Doc's life, his solution to this to get George to look to be the hero is to pretend to rape his own mom. Yeah, exactly. Which is horrifying (laughs) in and of itself. Yeah, I'm going to pretend to rape my mom. And as a kid, you went along with that, but as an adult, you're just like, wait a minute, this is just so violent well, yeah. and wrong. Yeah, and I see, and I think that's one of the the sort of grown up things that that um, stands out is just the fact that you know your dad is your dad is you know it's this person that you know as this old person, right? I mean, you know, they don't exist in any other realm. Right. It, it's just the dad persona. You, exactly. You, you cannot perceive it's sort of like whenever you uh when you meet an old person um 
it's so difficult to to remind yourself that this old person you're speaking to is not someone who's always been old. Well, this, is, this isn't their always state. They weren't born old. Well, it reminds you know? me of the book Matilda because uh, when Matilda discovers that her teacher, Miss Honey, has a little cottage, uh, she's sort of thinking to herself, wow, that's interesting. I always thought the teachers just sort of disappeared in, at the end of the day and then right. reappeared for the school day the next morning. Yeah. You yeah. don't think of them as people. You think of them as the persona of mom or yeah, dad exactly. or teacher. Yeah, when you see your teacher out somewhere and you realize that your teacher doesn't live at school, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this, you know, this this angle of meeting your dad as a 17-year-old and seeing this person who doesn't know you so they're not they're not trying to cover up anything like they would be if they knew oh well this is my child i'm going to you know try to act you're going to censor your behavior a yeah. little bit better no yeah. this is just some some asshole that i just met i don't care um <laughs> oh and this is the part where we discover marty's purple underwear cuz lorraine has undressed him yeah well is she not completely undressed to be fair all she does is take his pants off but uh you know For, that's not a big deal yeah her parents are kind of dumb. I mean, I, you have to assume so. It, it's cause... kind of amazing to think that they would even in the fifties not allow a girl to be in the room yeah. alone with a boy that they don't know. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent in nineteen fifty-five or four, whatever year he's gone back to. Fifty-five, yeah, fifty-five, it... and that brings me to some of the adult humor, like just subtle nods that aren't really meant as hard and fast jokes, but. When Marty goes back to 1955, there's a movie starring Ronald Reagan before his presidency. Yeah. And I had no idea who Ronald Reagan was when I first watched this movie. I like It just didn't occur to me, oh, that was one of the presidents of the United States. Wait, you didn't know who the... What? <laughs> no, I knew who the president was. I never knew that he was a movie star oh, when I was oh, a little kid. Oh, I got yeah. So, it, like, I knew the name Ronald Reagan, but I, as a kid, it's almost like a reverse joke because I was like, oh, President Reagan wasn't in a movie. That's silly. Yeah, they, and, and you just don't realize. Oh, wait, that was his occupation before he became the president. Yeah, he he apparently loved that joke too, because um, he he ended up using the last line. Um, there was a speech where he he used the last line from Back to the Future um, as a little nod because he because he liked the gag so much about like who's the vice president Jerry Lewis you know because <laughs> um, it was uh, there was a speech somewhere where he said uh, where we're going we don't need roads oh okay. and that's right before the car lifts off there you um, go and it's so funny because you know <clears throat> actors in the political realm are such a commonplace thing these days with President Trump and. Oh, yeah. The, the no, governor of we, California. Yeah, we don't think twice about it, you mm-hmm. know. And it's not uncommon either for those, for elected officials to show up in entertainment. Like, uh, First Lady Michelle Obama showed up on Parks and Recreation. President Obama was on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld. It's not that uncommon anymore. Do you know who the first president of the United States, sitting president, to appear on TV in a comedy? I do not. This was, by the way, this was the first who wants to be a millionaire question for a million bucks. Okay. Uh, it was Richard Nixon. Really? Richard Nixon was on an episode of Laugh-In. I never would have guessed yeah. that. Great show. If you haven't seen Laugh-In, go on YouTube and watch it. And not to interrupt you, but we're at the dinner table <clears throat> with Lorraine's family when she's young. Is that the older brother from the Wonder Years, the one in the coonskin cap? You know, I don't know. I'd have to look it up, but it looks just like him. That's, um, um, it's, uh, 
oh god are you trying to he, think of the actor's name yeah he he's been in a million things uh he was uh he was the the brother in iron eagle um, okay i think yeah i think that's the brother from the wonder years the older one yeah i can't remember his name i don't know um but um and this is the part where she puts her hand on his, like, he can stay in my room. She puts his hand on his leg. Like, I really, mom and dad, seriously, please let him stay. I really want to get laid tonight. Yeah. Just, you know, she is super horny. Evidently so. Because she's just all over <clears throat> her son. Uh, obviously, she doesn't know that Marty's her kid, but still, it's, she's just being wildly inappropriate at a yeah, dinner table. Yeah. And it's like, how can you even have these feelings when you're sitting at a table staring at your parents and your little siblings it's just it doesn't really compute yeah that's what i'm saying i think there's a lot more backstory to uh lorraine um than than we will ever get in uh in in the movie well that's the thing is you said it <clears throat> best is that they just back in the 80s we just kind of accepted stuff yeah i mean that, it was that was her character was. yeah like, we, we don't have a lot of time here, folks. Yeah, we we're gotta, not going to waste we gotta time. we got to go straight to the point. Exactly. You know? And also, it's a comedy, not a drama. Eh, you know, we don't have to establish why. You can't take it too seriously. Right. Marty just jumps straight up from the table because his mom is groping his knee. Uh, but yeah, he, he skedaddles out of the house, and I think Lorraine's mom, so Marty's grandma, is like, Oh, we should call his parents and let him know that they're that he's not here anymore. And that that's the only right. real concern you even see expressed. They leave their daughter look in a room her. alone. Look, I mean, she's like, oh my god, she's like a cat in heat, just staring yeah, at him as he it's leaves like... the house. It's pretty ridiculous. Yeah. But, so, like, he leaves Lorraine's house and then he goes in search for the doc because you know he's got to get some help getting back to the future, obviously. And one of the things I did not think of as a kid when Marty's looking up the Doc Brown in the Yellow Pages, uh, it lists Doc Brown's occupation. Yeah. Which I was I was like blown <clears throat> away by that because yeah. you don't do that anymore. No, I mean um, in my in my other life as a as a genealogical investigator, I spent a lot of time looking through phone books, old phone books. Sure. And it's amazing what people used to put in there. You know, I mean, like you would you would put uh, your occupation, you would put uh, if you were a woman whose husband had died, you would put, you know, it would have your name, parentheses, widow, and then the name of your dead husband. Why on earth would they provide that information? What did that? Because, you know, if somebody's back then, the thought was, well, if somebody needs to talk to me, I need to make it easy for people to find me. I don't have anything to hide. Yeah, I'm not Mrs. Mason down the street. I'm Widow Mason who lives uptown. Yeah. Yeah, I guess they needed that. They needed to distinguish the difference if there was more than one Mason. Such a great scene! Such a oh great yeah, because Doc. Doc has the the helmet where he's trying to read Marty's thoughts. And speaking of helmets, I know it's not actually a nod to Spaceballs, but when Marty crashes into the barn in the DeLorean and comes out in his little hazmat suit, he looks like Darth Helmet in that huge ass gear that he's got draped over him even though Spaceballs came out two years after this movie it came out in 1987 so it couldn't possibly have been a nod <laughs> to Spaceballs but it's that's just what it made me think of. I saw Spaceballs in the theater it's because Jason is a very very <laughs> old man yeah yeah um I didn't see this in the theater. I saw Back to the Future 2 in the theater, but I, I, I did not see this in the theater. So I'm, you know, not quite. Um, but um, getting back to the things that you don't pick up on, <clears throat> there's really, 
there's a lot of the movie, and I guess this is true with any actual sort of grown-up movie that you watch as an adult that you, you had previously seen as a kid. It's a totally different movie. It's a totally different experience because you you pay attention to things that just weren't relevant to you right. when you were a kid. Like, um, you know, the fact that Doc is this sort of, he's a mad scientist, but it's like, it, it struck me that he's just trying to invent something amazing and he's terrible at it. I mean, he invents the, uh, the, the thought, the mind reading thing, yeah, which doesn't work. And it sort of establishes that he gets one good idea because when you look at his apartment in the beginning of the movie... Oh, it's like a game of <clears throat> mousetrap. He's got countless little inventions that are all yeah. going off. And uh, it's seriously like that little marble in the mousetrap game. Because right. you're, you've got this pan shot where they're going to the left and looking at all the different inventions that he's come up with. One of them opens a can of dog food and splats it into Einstein's bowl. Right, right. Just different things that he's... Kind of these half-cocked ideas that he's had for inventions. Which, as a kid, you know, is you don't know what a Rube Goldberg machine is, and then you realize that, like, oh no, this is this is the thing. People do this. People <laughs> spend considerable resources building these Rube Goldberg machines. And Doc Brown just, you know, it. You almost have to wonder: Did he just do it on the side as a little fun thing, or because he does sort of. As an adult looking back on it, what it seems to me is that Doc Brown had been working on different little projects, trying to come up with something amazing. Mm-hmm. One night in 1955, he falls, he hits his head, he gets an image of the flux capacitor in his head. Right. And he spends the next 30 years building the flux capacitor. Which you have to assume that that fall not something loose or put something right in his brain because he's obviously very scattered in nature because you do see there there's invention 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 it's just like a garbage heap of inventions that he obviously abandoned either mid project or just never really saw them through but then he focuses for three decades on the flux capacitor and you you kind of get this this image of you know doc brown working on the time machine and getting frustrated and saying out of hell with this and then he goes and tries to do something else but it's just a lark <clears throat> and right. he either gets to the end of it and it doesn't do anything or he doesn't even finish it. You know, because if you think about it, he builds the big guitar amp. Right, which I loved that when Marty first goes into his shop or his apartment at the beginning of the movie. And of all the inventions that Marty could have picked up, of course, he naturally of course. gravitates to the amp and then gets blown across the apartment. Right, yeah. The f- sheer force coming out of the amplifier. Yeah, but it's like, that's such a a stupid product or project that, you know, you feel like, was that just a moment whenever there's, there's a richness there because it's like, okay, well, was Doc Brown at some point just tired of working on his time machine? And so he built this giant guitar amp, which, or was it a gift to Marty? Was it something, Oh, I'm going to do this because Marty plays guitar and I'll build this cool big thing for him. Well, and I watched this with Josh and he noted all the 
conveniently empty cardboard boxes that were behind oh, yeah. Marty well, before yeah. they flung him across the room. Look, the He's 80s. He's like, look, stuff to land on. Yeah, the 80s, Calendar. that was the era when the smart money was investing in the empty cardboard box company. Absolutely. Every movie, you just have thousands of empty cardboard boxes. Right. <laughs> Oh, and we missed a moment going back to Marty's mom being a total perv when she undressed him. She thinks his name is Calvin Klein because of the brand on the brand of his underwear. You know, in France, in the French dub, his name is Pierre. Why? Pierre Cardin. Oh, my God. <laughs> they, they, they they had to swap because Calvin Klein didn't make any sense. That's amazing. Yeah, so they actually... And you have to wonder if, like, in all the different localizations, if they have, like, a different fashion designer. <laughs> That's too funny. But it was, it was a brilliant thing. And I remember as a kid, too, because my parents didn't let me buy expensive underwear, because why the hell Fascist. do you... Need, why do you need expensive underwear? It's not like anybody's going to see it. Yeah, no one's ever going to see it. They especially, just have to be clean. Especially not that girlfriend of yours that wasn't even allowed to call you, let alone anything else, I would imagine. Oh, my God. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, so she thinks his name is Calvin Klein. And then uh, there was that subtle joke that you don't really pay attention to as a kid because you know at the beginning of the movie that the kids are Lorraine's brother, Joey, uh, is in prison. Yeah. And (laughs) then when Marty goes back into the past, he sees a baby Joey in a little, not a pack and play, a playpen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's got little bars on it. He's like, 1950s, get your head stuck between them bars. (laughs) Yeah. He was like, Marty looks at his uncle and he goes, Oh wow. He really did spend your whole life behind bars. Yeah. Get used to him. Oh goodness. You know, and that's great too, because, if you really think about it, that's very creative screenwriting because that exists in exactly two moments in the movie. The setup, which is in the beginning of Act One, mm. or the middle of Act One, and the payoff, which is just a little joke, you know, early in Act Two, and then that's it. It's not like that ever comes up again, but somebody thought to do that. That's the little touch that makes a really great writer a great writer because you know look i'm just writing the story to stop and think i'll put a joke here pay it off here yeah it's i mean it's like how comedians do callbacks in their act like john mulaney uh actually has a bit about back to the future and how inappropriate it was and the pitch for what the movie pitch must have been like it's like okay so we got this kid marty and he goes back into the past and tries to sleep with his mom. And it's like, how? He okay, didn't try to this... sleep with his mom. Well, I don't know. That's kind of how the joke goes. By it's... the way, I I want to be buried in in Doc Brown's outfit. Yeah, which is so. That is the most awesome outfit. It's ever. hysterical. He looks because he, you know, they obviously have to go and start interfering with George and Lorraine, who are in high school at this period of time. And Marty, you know, he's a high school looking kid, so that's very easy for him to go undercover into a high school. But all Doc does to disguise himself is put on this like Miami Beach kind of outfit. It's awesome, man. It's, it's a white uh, jacket and a Charlie Sheen kind of Miami <clears throat> style hat. You know, I was gonna I was gonna mention this earlier, another thing about it that, that impressed me a lot watching it today, um, was that, you know, writing a time travel movie is, is just agony. You know, because there's so much complexity to time travel. And you have got to be all a these... stickler to detail, for sure. Yeah. And one of the things is that, well, you know, if you go back into the past, one of the things you don't want to do is just start messing things up. Sure. And it's very 
cool how they deal with that in this movie because Marty goes back in time. He doesn't think in terms of of preserving the timeline, and no. he's just doing shit. And then only well, after he does that, Doc Brown explicitly says to him, because he hadn't met Doc in 55 right. yet, when he meets him in 55, Doc Brown says, no, you absolutely can't do anything. You can't leave the house. You know, but by the time he does meet Doc in the past, it's too late because too he's, late. Already he's already changed. Done it. Yeah, yeah, he changed the method of how George and Lorraine even met. Right. So, uh, and the thing is, too, a lot of there's there's, and again, as a kid, I was under the misconception uh, that well, Marty does this and he messes things up and then he puts everything back. That's not what happens. No. Mar- Marty destroys the original timeline completely. Yes. He completely changes the future. Yeah. And you don't even really consider that because you're so on the mission with him to make sure that his dad and his mom get together because he's messed up how they were supposed to meet in the first place. Right. And you, it sort of feels like he's putting things back on track because he is finding a way for them to be together so that they still have the kids yeah. that they're supposed yeah. to have, etc. But then everything changes when he goes when he goes back to the future right. and discovers that his parents are actually very successful and happy and Biff is washing his dad's car so. right right and and there is actually you know it's funny because from a physics standpoint you know with time travel you can sit and nitpick and and you know anytime you watch a time travel movie you just have to kind of say it's just a movie i should just relax but there is a theory and I think this was, I, I don't remember who I read that. I think it was a book, I think it was one of Michio Kaku's books, where he talks about the timeline wanting to preserve itself. And so if you went, the theory is that if you went back in time, you know, it's like the age old thing. If you went back in time and you met your grandfather before you met your grandmother and you shot him and you killed him, what would happen because then he could never meet your grandmother. So you could never be born. So right. you could never go back in time to kill him. Right. It's a butterfly effect of, well, it, it, it's this that... you get into this loop where it's like, well, now you can't go back in time to kill him. So now you will be born. Right. So That's where can, yeah. we start getting on some <clears throat> doctor who level stuff right there. Well, the, the theory is that if you did it, that the timeline would either not let the gun fire Right. Because it would protect itself or it would figure out another way of coming as close to the original thing as possible. It's kind of that Donnie Darko school of thought where there's, you know, you're following this track that you're meant to follow. Yeah. Regardless yeah. of which timeline you're on or if time breaks apart from itself. So arguably there is a physical theory that would say if Marty stopped his parents from meeting and then rigged up a solution where they did meet and fall in love that the timeline would try to come back as close as possible to what it was before, but just having to account for a couple of the variances. Right. You know, and and, you know, so it's, uh, you know, I think, I think back to the future can be forgiven for it's, uh, you know, and now then you get to two and three where, you know, things get a bit looser for sure. I, I honestly do not, even remember three i i've seen it i saw it in the theater and i've seen it a few times on video right and i don't even remember i, I know that there's a train that flies because he builds a time machine doc brown gets stuck in the past yeah you know um i don't rightly recall either but um i kind of want to go watch it now 
As far as like the time continuum and all this other stuff, as far as being a stickler for detail as well with the time travel, one thing I never picked up on as a kid but really annoyed me as an adult watching this movie is that Mr. Strickland does pick on Marty and he's like, you're a slacker just like your dad. But his dad yeah. is clearly not a slacker. He's a yeah. nerd and he, did, yeah, he obviously it, hands in his homework on right. time. Right, yeah. His dad isn't a slacker. It's at like, all. hey, asshole, this kid's being bullied. Yeah. Why don't it, you do something about it? Yeah, it just, I don't I don't understand where Mr. Strickland even got that impression. I, I do love the fact that Strickland does not change one iota. No. <laughs> that's, that's, that's just... He the, definitely follows the time continuum and right. stays exactly the same. He's the original Frau Farbissina. Oh, and the... One another joke that I missed where Doc I don't remember what they're talking about but um oh yeah because Marty says whoa heavy in mm. response to yeah. something that Doc says and Doc is like why are things so heavy in the future is there something wrong with Earth's gravitational <laughs> yeah. pull and I just, just subtle little jokes yeah. like oh, yeah, that yeah. I just well, did or, not get or a, a, this is a good one that you don't understand as a kid when Doc sees the video um of himself and he says why are you wearing radiation suits oh of course the fallout from the atomic wars oh and there must be plutonium on every street corner every right. store corner the or assumption if you lived in 1955 and you know i've you know i've talked to my parents about this and that the russians dropped the bomb <laughs> it was not a question of if there was going to be a nuclear war oh yeah well you had flash drills when. in school and yeah. all that stuff and which lewis black has a fantastic bit about that where he was like, I remember when I was a kid and we had to do flash drills. And what the hell were these people thinking? Do they really think those tiny little wooden desks were going to save us from an atomic bomb? Well, that was actually not the point of those. A oh, lot really? Of people, no, that wasn't. The point of it was that the people realized that kids were scared shitless. Uh-huh. And... It gave them a sense of order and safety? It said it gave the kids something to do in case of an emergency. It said, you need to learn how to do this, and if anything bad happens... Here's a thing you can do, and it will make things safer. Because Jason was actually alive during these flash drills. He remembers doing them at school. Yeah, yeah. Back in, <laughs> back whenever I was, you know, wait, who is, uh, okay, wait, who is she kissing? Okay, it's Lorraine? Marty. Yeah, Lorraine and Marty. <laughs> he just, he totally just snogged his mom. Well, that because that's part <clears throat> of his plan. Remember going back to yeah. that super aggressive solution to a problem where, yeah. Uh, he, cause Marty comes up with the whole, she needs to see you as a hero, yeah, George. Suck it, Lena Dunham. Yeah. Oh God. But yeah, Marty's first inclination is I'm going to pretend to rape her and you come in and save her. So I know it's the old fake rape <laughs> trick. The old, the old switcheroo it of the rape. Works every time. Exactly. And then of course Biff has to come <clears throat> and muck it all up because he. Wait, and, uh, one of these guys. One of uh, Biff's henchmen is, um, where is he, where is he? It's um, Billy Zane. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of them is uh, not the one in the 3D glasses. Okay. One of the other ones is Billy Zane. I think it's the one that's hanging on to Marty on this, the outside. This is actually Billy Zane's first movie. Oh my God, are you yeah. kidding me? Billy Zane, of course, star of a few episodes of Twin Peaks. Um, and also known as Kaladin <laughs> Hockley in Titanic. Of what? The idiot who said at the beginning of Titanic when he and Rose are getting on the boat. Oh, is that, ship, a, is that about the ship? Uh, yes. And it was also about Leo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. It was sort of a big deal back oh, in 1997. I'm sorry. That was, <laughs> I was too busy getting laid. Oh my. But Billy Zane actually was in Titanic. He was the idiot who. Titanic, had, a movie about the greatest disaster in history written by a third grader. Oh God. 
But he had that fantastic line at the beginning of Titanic where he was like, God himself could not sink this ship. And everybody in the theater is just like, ooh, he shouldn't have said that. Yeah, the only line in the movie that was actually taken from something people actually said, the rest of it written by a third grade. I'm sorry, if you're going to have to stop <laughs> me because I hate that movie with so much Passion. I thought you said it uh, got you a nice hookup with somebody, though. Well, yeah, but I mean... <laughs> you like the results, yeah. it's just not so much the movie itself. I mean, it could have been Cookie's Fortune, and I still would have said that, you know? Right. Um, yeah, we should watch Titanic one day, just so I can sit and spit at the microphone. Well, that'll be a long three <laughs> and a half hours. Goddamn. Because I remember that movie being a big deal, because it was on two VHS tapes. But what's, um, a, what's a movie you hate? That would be Solaris with George Clooney. Worst oh, I love that movie. movie ever. No. No, that movie's horrendous. Go, you will not go, convince me otherwise. Go, I, 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 can, I can prove to you that if you hate Solaris, it cannot be the worst movie ever. Do you know why? Why? Because it's based on a Russian movie called Solaris. Okay. That is like the same movie, but it's a Soviet movie. Okay. I defy you to try to watch it. I defy you. I will pay you money if you can sit through all of the original Solaris. Ooh, how much are we talking here? It, it, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty Soviet. So does that is that a good or a bad thing? It's a really bad thing. Okay. <laughs> the Soviets made contributions to the arts. I will grant them every once in a while they they could do it, but not in cinema. I mean, Mikhail Brishkov. <clears throat> we were already talking about him earlier. This yeah, episode, he split. So. You know, yeah. Um, <laughs> he got the hell out of Russia. He yeah, knew Eisenstein, he Eisenstein, you know, but other than that. Um, so so the question I always have is, okay, if you, a movie you passionately hate, if it was a person and the law would was on your side, what would you do to them? I would quarantine it in solitary for the rest of its yeah, natural given life. Yeah. I don't want to, you know. If Titanic was a movie, I would beat it to death. Yeah, I, I, I would. Get I would pick a chair up, and I would beat it to death see, in front you, of its own mother. See, and you say George and Marty are violent. Apparently, you're the yeah. most violent one in the room. Though. Well, they taught me. I learned on 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 stuff like this. That's where you started to get those inclinations <laughs> yeah, exactly. from George and Marty McFly, the two most nefarious thugs of all time, in all of cinematic history. But uh, the movie does get a little racist, too, and these were terms I didn't understand because we're at the point where yeah, I was going to say that yeah. Biff, uh, you know. It, it wasn't even a plan. This is how terrible Biff honestly is. Is uh, it was they, a spur of the moment. Yeah, he just, to spur of the moment, <clears throat> decides to rape Marty's mom, Lorraine, while the guys are, sh- his little cronies are shoving Marty into the trunk of a car. And then when it comes time that the band for the prom comes up or whatever dance it is, the in- Enchantment what? Under Enchantment the Sea. Enchantment Under the Sea. Very Disney. But the band comes out and. Biff's gang is calling them uh, spooks and reefer addicts, and I was like, "Whoa!" I did yeah. not realize that when this... I was when I was a kid, and it, it's kind of weird because I grew up in the Deep South. I had no idea that the word "spook" was 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 a racial epithet. Well, that's good. It means you didn't yeah. grow up in a racial, racist household, so that's that's good. Um, so I didn't get that at all. It was really more of, that was one of those jokes that you hear as a kid, and it does stand out because you're like, "Huh." Yeah, you just have no idea what's happening that right then. Sense. You know, it's funny. And I didn't know what reefer was when I was in single digits, so there's there's also True, that. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and it's funny, too, because Thomas F. Wilson, the guy who plays Biff, you, you watch him in this movie, and this is, 
This is the movie that everybody knows him from. You know, um, he, he was in um, this and he was in, was he in, I think he was in Back to the Future too. I think Old Biff was, yeah, Old Biff because he stole, because he, he brought back the uh, the book, the, the Sports Almanac. Oh, right, right, yeah. right. Okay. Yeah, I'm um, having trouble recalling Back to the Future too as well. And he was in various video segments for Wing Commander 2, the video game, or maybe Wing Commander 3. I so don't he's remember. had quite the stunning career. Yeah. But he, he has a reputation as basically being one of the nicest people you would ever meet. Like, that's one of the things that people who've, who worked on the movie said is that there is so... He, the, the person who plays Biff could not be farther from the character of Biff... Because he's actually just like the nicest person that you could ever hope to meet. Well, that happens a lot, I think, because uh, especially with The Walking Dead, Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who plays Negan, uh, in real life, his castmates say he's just a complete teddy bear, just the nicest guy on the planet. Meanwhile, on screen, he's bashing people's heads heads (laughs) in with a wire rim bat. So, you know. I mean, I've done that, and I consider myself to be a fairly nice person, you know. (laughs) Oh, but we're getting to a, a fantastic point in the movie, which I think everybody remembers this part, if nothing yeah, else. Like, they I remember agree. the DeLorean, and they remember the Johnny B. Good scene. Yeah, where Michael J. Fox's voice suddenly and dramatically changes into that of another man. Uh, yeah, into <laughs> that of a very different octave. Like, oh, it just... oh. <laughs> And he, he obviously doesn't really have any guitar skills. He's all over that guitar. Spock, my hand. Yeah, and apparently they go to a school where rapey is just totally common, you know, because, you know... now it's before the Me Too movement, Jason, apparently was running ramp- uh, rampant. Yeah, apparently, you know, like, George McFly's got to go in there and, and swat at another rapey dude. Yeah, because know? it's Marty's first inclination to pretend to rape his mom, and then it's Biff's inclination to actually rape his mom, so... Which makes sense why whenever Marty pitches the idea to George, it makes total sense. Because it's like, oh yeah, rape. Well, that happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's so commonplace that, oh yeah, let's just run along with this scenario. But... Uh, but it does make you feel good, you know? And this, this is the... The rape makes you feel good? Yeah. that's what she said that's a bad thing Uh, oh god it got you just cranked it up to 11 (laughs) no she didn't say that yeah no one ever said that she she did say it but she was being coerced um oh god (laughs) bye listeners forever i can't be part of this anymore anyway um, suck it lena dunham (laughs) oh my god stop talking Anyway, uh, yeah, so we're at the famous Johnny B. Good scene. and What, what I was trying to say <laughs> was this is the part where it feels good because the whole Marty's family story has a bow on it. It's over. Yes. It now gets... it can just be Marty plays guitar and then figures out a way to get back in, uh, back to 1985. Because the guitar thing was already set up in the beginning, like you said. Everything yeah. it gets yeah. tied up nice and neat with the script. You know, he gets up on stage and... While he was rejected in his own timeline, not getting to be part of the band in school, and then he just gets to rock out Enchantment Under the Sea back in his parents' day. So, yeah. and you know, it's clearly uh, John Mulaney had another joke about this particular part of the movie where he said, "Yeah, we're gonna have a white guy sing Johnny Be Good, so we're gonna take that away from him too." Which it's just, it's clearly not Marty singing well, this song. The, the weird thing about this scene is that it's 1955. 
Right. Rock and roll existed in 1955, but the movie kind of acts like, you know, he's up there and everyone's like, oh, what is Like he just invented the concept. Yeah. Yeah, You know, but it's like, no. And they all know how to dance to it somehow, even though it's something they've never heard before. Yeah. and, And Chuck Berry was, I think Chuck Berry was already like a top chart artist in 1955 is, was this pre my dingling i'm trying to remember i well it was pre-internet <laughs> when people could go and just look it up yeah, okay <laughs> you know? yeah um it, it is a cool scene though you know oh yeah it's, it's filmed well the whole the whole movie you know the whole movie is filmed well you know we didn't talk about that you know i mean you know from a from a how you put a movie together standpoint the whole thing is is just perfect the performances are perfect. You know, even if Back to the Future is not one of your favorite movies. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it, I, I, it wouldn't make it in my top 10 of all-time favorites. Um, but I, I do think it would go on my list of what I, you know, refer to as perfect movies. Because there's nothing that you could change. That, you know, don't dare reboot it. Uh, which, fortunately... Robert Zemeckis and I can't remember the name of the writer, um, the, the Robert Zemeckis and the, and the, the other person who wrote the movie with him have both sworn that as long as they have breath in their body, there shall be no reboot of back to the future. That's good because that's all they're doing is chopping up our childhood and feeding it back to us these days with all the prequels, sequels, continuations, whatever. I mean, even with Star Wars, I know there are quite a few people who are just, they've had it with the Star Wars continuations. It's, it's enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, the, the only, and this would never fit into that. <clears throat> the only way that, like with Star Wars, until I had a kid, I, I, I stopped giving any sort of a crap about Star Wars. And then I have a kid and all of a sudden he really cares about Star Wars again. Sure. And so it's like, okay, well, I'll suffer through watching the Clone Wars on TV, you know, because he really likes it. Right. Back to the Future, though, you, look, Back to the Future is a movie centered around the year 1985. Okay. You, we're not in 1985. You can't go home again, you know, come up with something new, but this movie is owned by the year 1985. Yeah. You can't do it again. You know, you just can't. It just encapsulates the time so well. Yeah. I mean, just like Ferris Bueller. It, oh, uh, yeah. Like, Ferris Bueller stands alone in its own time as well. They're just classic 80s movies. Didn't they try to do a show? Didn't they try to do a Ferris Bueller show? I'm honestly not sure. I need I to look re- that up. I really hope that's not true. Well, they, I mean, you know, they, they tried to do so many of these things. They tried to spin off in different directions, you know. Well, they want to make money off of it. Where, yeah. Hey, let's take this other thing with another short actor and yeah. turn it into a franchise. I mean, look, it's a property. They made three movies. That makes it a franchise. Right. And it know? also wound up with its own ride at Universal. Yeah. Uh, not Ferris Bueller, obviously. Back to the Future. No, that would have been a great ride, though. <laughs> the Ferris Bueller ride. Would you, would, would, it just wouldn't have done anything. What would have happened? Would you would you have been in uh, the car or on the parade float in the Ferris Bueller ride? Oh, I want to be in the parade float. Oh, absolutely. With the leopard vest <laughs> and everything. Darling, Donkashan. Oh no, it's a shake it up, baby. Oh, that's right, Donkashan. He does. Yeah, he they, no, he sings Donkashan. He's does? just not. Uh, oh no, he sings both of them. I want to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's both. Yeah. You're right. And then he gets everybody just all shook up, singing "Shake It Up, Baby." But, the yeah. Sausage King of Chicago. 
4,000 restaurants in the downtown area. <laughs> I think the one my father goes to. 4,000. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, uh, getting back to Marty, the <clears throat> other short 80s hero. We're now actually... Along with Tom Cruise. Uh, who was shorter, I think. Uh, no, Tom Cruise is taller than... Is he? Yes. Because uh, Tom Cruise is tiny. Tom Cruise is about five foot six. I had an acting coach who told me that once. Really? Who worked around him or near him or something. I, I know when they filmed Top Gun, if you watch Top Gun, the scene where, where Kelly McGillis and Tom Cruise are sitting at a bar together. Uh-huh. And you'll notice that Kelly McGillis is, she has her hands like on her, her head on her hands. And it looks almost unnatural. Right. Because they just had to get Kelly McGillis to scrunch up so much. <laughs> Which makes you wonder why Tom Cruise married Nicole Kidman, a very famously tall actress. I guess he was compensating. But <laughs> do you think perhaps he's compensating for something? I'm just saying. But uh, you know. Google is telling me that Michael J. Fox is five foot four, as I suspected. And Tom Cruise. Wow, he's five four. Yeah. He's a tiny guy, yeah, like I said. He's, he's a full six and a half inches taller, shorter than me. Oh, yeah. Like, when he yeah. was guest starring on Scrubs, when he would stand next to Dr. Cox, the difference in height was staggering. But, yeah, it's saying that Tom Cruise is five foot seven. I'll be damned. So he's not much taller than no, Marty McFly. three inches. But... I mean, that's, you know, like the, 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 the bishop said to the prostitute, three inches, that makes all the difference. Uh, anyway, so I let's can't continue talk to with you the... <laughs> No, but um, that's just a thing in Hollywood anyway. Robert Downey Jr. is only about five foot eight or five foot nine. Uh, if you watch Avengers very carefully, especially since he's with Gwyneth Paltrow in a good portion of the movies. And and she's, she's pretty tall. She's very tall and yeah. slender herself, but they have him in almost Spice Girl kind of tennis shoes. <laughs> I'm dead serious. They've got, they have like platform shoes. Next time you're watching... Uh, Iron Man or Avengers, if if you see him in sneakers, you can catch little glimpses of it That's that he's hilarious. clearly in platform no, tissues I, I to make never him taller. That. Yep. But yeah, we've got to the exciting part where they've, well, they finally got to a more serious part of the movie. I mean, we had that couple of minutes of fun where Marty shakes it up at the school dance, and that's exciting. But now he's got to go and you know finish the piece of the puzzle, the, yeah, or the last piece home. of the puzzle, and go home. Yeah, and you have this very <clears throat> suspense-filled moment because they've got these charging cables in the clock tower. So we go back to the clock tower. That comes full circle. And one of the charging cables for the flux capacitor, it snaps loose. So Doc has to climb to the top of the clock tower to reconnect the cables before Marty can streak down the street at exactly, what, midnight? Um, Yeah, they said the time. I don't remember what it is because they knew precisely to the minute when the you lightning know, yeah. was going to strike so that it could get the full charge. And... The, the problem is they didn't know to the second and never mind. And lightning never moves mind. relatively never, quickly. Yeah, never, never mind. Suspend your, dis- yeah. your disbelief, Jason. <laughs> I, I should just relax. But yeah, so Doc is trying to get the cable so that the lightning will strike and everything will sync up as it should. So he's just sitting at the top of the clock tower stretching and he almost has a dramatic fall and... Marty's yelling at him from the ground, and they're just waiting to make things happen. You know what strikes me, though? You know, watching the the dramatic climax here is just how well, visually speaking, it holds up. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it really... This really looks like a movie that could have been filmed, you know, this year. Except it looks better, because it's on film. Right, and there's actual people... 
in yeah. actual places as opposed to just having green screens. Yeah, there's behind no green them. screen anywhere here. That motel sign behind the car is an actual is, yeah, sign. Somebody actually went and made that. Well, and going back to the whole Star Wars thing, I know that's that's something that a lot of fans are upset about is they're they used to see actual objects on the screen like Yoda used to be a puppet and then they made him CG. He, he was again in the last Jedi. He was a puppet again. Yes, they brought that yeah. back, but uh in the earlier movies which most people can't even stand with young Anakin and all that and Yoda's CG and that's it's not great. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. I wish they had cast Christian Bale as uh Anakin. I think it would have been a better movie. It would have been a much better movie. Instead of the piece of two by four wood, also known as... Oh, shit. What's his name? Who even knows his name? It was Hayden Christian. Yeah, Hayden Hayden Christensen Christensen or something. Which, you know, I was at at Disney World um, a few months ago, and we went to the Star Wars launch bay, and they have a section in there where you can buy autographed pictures of people from Star Wars. Cool. And the guy in there, I was looking at a picture, and... uh, the, the the guy who was working, the cast member working there said, uh, hey, look at this. And it was an autographed picture of Hayden Christensen as uh, as Anakin. It's like, you paid money for that? <laughs> oh, no, but here's the thing, though. He said, he goes, do you know, you want to know which autograph in here is actually the one to get? What? That one. Why? And I said, why? Yeah, that's what I said. And he goes, Hayden Christensen is so bitter over what he perceives as the damage done to his career by those movies wow. that you will not get him to sign anything Star As, Wars related. Oh, wow. And so to have a picture of Anakin signed by Hayden Christensen is actually a pretty big deal. That's crazy. I was, oh, that's cool. Yeah, I never would have thought about it from that perspective. It, it, it almost makes him a sympathetic, like... Wow, now I feel bad for Anakin. <laughs> well, and he's not as much of a tool about it as Harrison Ford, where he says, yeah, yeah I'll take part of it as long as you kill me off. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> who knows? But And it's funny how that typecasting kind of works, because Michael J. Fox went on to have a really good, successful career. Oh, yeah. And even though this movie is... I wouldn't say it's quite as iconic as Star Wars, but Back to the Future is... It's close. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's close. definitely in that arena. Yeah. But he never really got typecast as the Marty no. McFly persona. Not that... No, I mean, if you watch, like, The Frighteners, which is a really good movie, mm-hmm. you know... Um, and then, like, Spin City. Yeah, Spin City. Oh, yeah. He's had such yeah. a good career at doing a multitude of things. Well, he did this, I mean... He did this while Family Ties was in production because he had to. Um, oh. They filmed most of this movie God, at like, like six p.m. to six a.m. or something like that, huh. and so he he would actually leave the set of Family Ties and go and, straight and to go Back and to film. The Future. Yeah, and and if you see any of the daytime scenes, are typically filmed on the weekend because that's oh. when he wasn't shooting Family Ties. Interesting, I never knew that. Yeah, so the guy was working hard. You know, I mean, he's he's a pro. Well, he, when, you know, Michael yeah. J. Fox is a pro. And when you're young like that, you have the energy for it, I would imagine. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. Now, he would, like, sleep, like, four hours a night and, and hey. film Family Ties and Back to the Future, which but, you got to think as an actor, you know. Well, acting is actually really exhausting in general. Yeah. I was actually a background actor uh, for a couple of projects a while back, and it's, even as background, you're talking about a minimum usually at least a 10 to 12 hour day more often than not even longer than that so when you're the main when you're the star (laughs) you're there almost around the clock it's kind of crazy when 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 i was uh 
when I was engaged, you know, uh, the, the, the Roman church, uh, has a, um, a thing called, it's like a marriage prep thing you gotta go to. It's right. like a, like a week long class. Yeah, where kind they, of marriage counseling. But, yeah. Or yeah. pre-counseling. Whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a totally stupid waste of time that they should get rid of. But whenever I was doing mine, I was working on a movie, this terrible, terrible zombie movie. Uh, I was a camera operator, uh, oh. and it was a. It was I was a mo- wondering where this was going. Yeah, I was a camera operator on this movie, and it was it was a movie about zombie uh, strippers. <laughs> it was awful. I almost spat out my beer yeah. from Variant Brewing. Thank yeah. you for well, that. Well, no, wait, 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 no, it was really zombies versus strippers. Yeah, that's what it was. It was zombies versus strippers. I hate you Whatever. for taking us on this tangent. Whatever. But we were filming it in a disused strip club. Okay. And so I would go for like a week. From your marriage I, class. I would go. <laughs> I was shuttling back and forth between the Catholic Church and a disused strip club. So you were, you were pulling a Michael J. Fox and <laughs> yeah. pulling double yeah. shifts in very different environments. Yeah, that was a very weird thing. You know, like, oh, I'm sorry I couldn't get here. The traffic between here and the strip club was just, whew. You know, oh, it's actually very fitting that you mention a strip club because when Marty does come back to the future, the car is covered in ice, but it looks like it was just exploded on. So, you know, it, it, that's something that actually kind of struck me is that they make a point of saying in the beginning of the movie that the car was cold, not right. hot. Yeah. And it, it it is interesting that never that almost seems like something they were setting up that never got used. Like it could almost short the car out, how cold it gets. Yeah, or, or like, you know, a character, a bad guy would be killed because the car was so cold. I mean, like in a lot of 80s movies, something like that would have happened. It's interesting that they that they did it that way. Well, it's a good thing that Marty never, because in the beginning of the movie, you see him grabbing onto the backs of cars while he's riding a skateboard to move more quickly through town. <laughs> it's a good thing that he didn't do that with the DeLorean because he would have frozen to death. <laughs> yeah, and it's also good that, you know... He's evidently psychic, and he knows when to let go when a car isn't coming in the other lane. Oh, yeah. You know, you have to wonder, would they let people do that in a movie nowadays? Who knows? I don't don't think they would. Well, they might let a stunt double do it, but not an actor. No, I think think they would be afraid to uh, convince, or, you know, that maybe they would encourage kids to try that crap. But oh, who, I see what you mean. Like they don't want to set a bad example. Yeah, but but I mean, look. I mean, the worst case scenario is a couple skateboarders get killed. So you know, uh, buy skateboarders. We have yeah, scared good, off the Russians. Uh, good written um, skateboarders. Oh god, we, we it wouldn't be an episode if we weren't truly alienating a large group of people. And also, get off my lawn. You are such an old man. <laughs> you damn kids. <laughs> get off my lawn. But yeah, so Marty's back in the J.C. Penney parking lot witnessing himself as he escapes the Libyan terrorists. Where people did actually gather in this actual parking lot um, on, um, I don't remember what day it was. I don't remember if it was, because the movie came out and this date had not passed or had passed. But people actually gathered in this parking lot on one of the anniversaries. To see if Marty would show up. To see if Marty would show up. Yeah. (laughs) That's great. Well, and you get a good twist here when, because Doc gets shot all over again, and you think that the whole point of Marty time traveling will eventually lead up to him getting Doc out of the way or saving him in some form or fashion from the Libyan terrorists. But it's actually something that Marty did in the past that influenced the Doc to save himself. 
by wearing what is what would we call this Kevlar? Yeah, Kevlar. <laughs> yeah. So and also Doc hoping that none of the Libyan bullets hit him in the face. Yeah, because Kevlar yeah. doesn't help much with ah, who with cares? a headshot. It's a movie. It's fine. <laughs> but you find out that because Marty left the Doc a note. And the doc specifically said when going back, he said, you know, I don't want to mess with the timeline. I want to die when I die. But then Marty leaves him a note telling him what's going to happen. And the doc apparently breaks his code and reads it so he can save himself. And and I love just that's that's a very 80s sentiment that, you know, what about all that changing the future stuff? Well, screw it. I thought, you know, (laughs) what the hell? You know, and as we get to the end of the movie, one of the things that I don't know why this should stand out as such a big surprise to me. My entire life watching this movie, I remember it ending with the words written in the back to the future font to be continued. Okay. And I only learned just today that that did not exist in the theatrical release that was on the VHS release. When they, they knew that there was going to be a yeah, sequel. Yeah. They added to be continued on the end of the movie. Yep. And if you and we're watching a digital version because it is it it's not there anymore. They right. took it away. And you know, that's one of those little things where it's like, well, wait a minute. My whole life there was like the, the to be continued with the arrow in the font. You yeah. Know? But, and it's not there anymore. Yeah, but maybe Marty has been messing with time that, and he took you know, it out. <laughs> honestly, that's that's what it feels like. It feels like somebody went back in time somebody and took robbed out, my past. Yeah. <laughs> you know, somebody went through incredible expense to go, you guys shouldn't do that. The, to be continued thing. It's oh, lame. It's really here we lame. go. So Marty is back in the future now and he wakes up in his bed surprisingly with his pants on. Yeah, the payoff. It this turns is out a his payoff scene. Yep. Where we actually discover that he altered everything about the future. Yeah, Marty did not set things back. No. He destroyed the old timeline. He committed the ultimate time crime of... Yeah, he broke the, the temporal for, uh, prime directive. Yep. And he d- he just completely changed his future where... And for those of you who know what the temporal prime directive is... Keep listening. I we love, actually I like you. you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You can stay, unlike the Russians... The Australians and all the other listeners that we've lost up until now. Marty's sister really didn't... I know she improved, but... Not drastically. Not drastically. (laughs) She got the short end of... I mean, you know, and and his brother is now Kevin McDonald from uh, Kids in the Hall. Uh, Oh my God, that is him, isn't it? I never realized that. No, it's not him, but it just looks exactly like him. Oh, okay. I was like, is it really him? That's crazy. And then you see Crispin Glover, a.k.a. George McFly, coming in looking Marty, like Maverick. look, I've got Ray-Bans now. That means I'm cool. He's got a leather jacket and a polo and... And Ray-Bans. I had those Ray-Bans. Oh. Well, many, many years ago. So, so old. But yeah, his dad and his mom come in. They're clearly happier in their marriage because in the beginning... Marty has suspenders on, you know? Yeah, I actually wrote that down. Like, <laughs> People wore suspenders in 1985? That Okay. It must have been a fashion statement because I know hipsters wear them now along with red. I like suspenders. I think they're cool. I, I, but I thought they were cool before the hipsters thought they were cool. Oh, so you're like a meta hipster. Get out. Oh, I'm so far ahead of that. Get out. The hipsters, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and you see that the future's definitely changed. Biff is working for Marty's dad cleaning his car and the car was never destroyed uh, because Biff was the one who crashed the car in the first place 
on the first timeline when Marty wanted to borrow it. And oh, and something we didn't even discuss is Biff is basically blaming George McFly for Biff having crashed George's car right. while driving yeah. drunk. He said he had, he well, had a beer fault. can it, in his hand. Yeah. He didn't know that. He, you didn't warn me about that blind spot. Oh, yes. Well, it turns out every car has multiple blind spots when you're driving with a beer in your hand. Look at what a nice 80s house looked like. Oh, yes. Look at that couch. The couch, the three uh, little windows in the front door. And back in the 80s, it was super easy to open packages, and they just put one right on the top like that. That was one of the boxes <laughs> yeah. in this movie that was actually filled with something. Yeah. Marty's I, well, it's filled with nothing but, you know, plastic wrap peanuts and that one book. <laughs> and a book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then I just love the fact that the, that the Toyota 4x4 is parked horribly. Oh yeah. <laughs> like how are you going to get it out? <laughs> yeah, Marty has his own car that he's that he's rocking in this different future that he built. That is a cool car though. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah, that, that is that is So cool. now he and his girlfriend are <clears throat> totally cool to slut the weekend out. Yeah, now we, up now we can go to. up to the lake and have sex a lot. And apparently mom <clears throat> doesn't care cuz Can I bring my hairspray? Well, yeah. You can I mean, bring all the hairspray you own. You could shoot his girlfriend in the head with a bullet and it would ricochet right oh, yeah. off there's so much hairspray in that hairdo but yeah he's so he's completely altered his future which didn't bother me as a kid as a kid i was simply satisfied with the fact that his life seemed to improve but now i'm just sitting here like i cannot believe you altered this much about the lot the timeline it's just remember it's, remember by the way when we were all wearing doc's clothes Remember a few years ago when everybody was wearing those sunglasses? Oh, yeah. Yeah, back in 2015. It was a thing. Well, 2015, know. you know, we we lived it up as back to the future as we could. Oh, yeah. You know that was the year. We all had our Mr. Fusions, you know. <laughs> we, were, we were putting, like, banana peels and shit in there. And... <laughs> well, I think that's called composting, Jason. Yeah. And he, what was that, a beer that he... Pe- Pepsi cost 50 bucks. Oh, God, Pepsi. Here's a 50. Give me a Pepsi. Yeah, Pepsi and JCPenney definitely paid for some advertising There was a in this lot movie. of product placement in this movie. But, look, I mean, that, it's, it's that's no how su- you make movies. It's no Superman being thrown into a Coke truck, but right. it's it's still pretty obvious. Hey, look, it cost a fortune to make a movie. I mean, you know, you got to come up with the money somewhere, you know. Uh, although, apparently, the story is that the California Raisins wanted to be in the movie. They wanted a product placement, and uh-huh. they paid. And um, the only thing they could get was the uh, sign on the um, on the bench that the homeless guy is sleeping on at the end of the movie. Oh, that's the only thing they could get. So they actually refunded them their five thousand dollars. That's sad. <laughs> you know, it's like, poor California raisins. Oh, <laughs> and one thing I had forgotten is that yeah, I mean it's a very obvious lead into a sequel because oh, yeah. Doc shows up on this timeline <clears throat> with Marty and his girlfriend and. Suddenly, the girlfriend's also included in the adventure for oh, whatever yeah. reason. Yeah. But because, uh, well, I guess we find out that she and Marty get married because Doc shows up and he's like, "It's your kids, Marty. We gotta go and we gotta go and help the kids, Marty." And right? Yeah. It's just, it, I don't know. Also, rewatching this movie really made me see just exactly how similar Rick and Morty is based oh, off of are this, you off of this movie. It's yeah. ridiculous. Oh yeah, Doc yeah. and Marty, Rick and Morty, and how he says. More, Marty's name a lot. Oh, it's it's crazy, Morty. We gotta go on an adventure, Morty. Like it's it it's so similar. It's oh ridiculous. yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I always knew that they were. At least, it was based on that idea because, as we all know, Rick and Morty is kind of like Doctor Who had a crack baby with Back to the Future. So yeah, 
But yeah, and I, that just threw that into sharp relief, just how similar they with, are. With some Cronenberg in there. Oh yeah, some some Clive Barkering and some Cronenberg. Yeah, some Clive Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And Rick and Morty goes to a much darker place. John Roche, Foley, Fo- uh, Foley for this movie, amazing job. Oh yeah. Amazing job. Um, uh, let's see who else. Well, just yeah. some people who are staples in the in your household as far as movies they've been in. Conchetta Rinaldo, the DGA trainee, the some of the best DGA traineeing I've ever seen. Oh, high quality, <laughs> top notch. But yeah, that brings us to the end of the movie, which leads us into an obvious, not spinoff, but a sequel. I had forgotten about that part where, oh yeah, people who meet in high school actually do get married sometimes, I guess. Yeah, yeah, which, um, I mean, to be fair, out of all the people I knew in high school, not a single one of them actually married the person they were dating in high school. That's probably wise. You change yeah. a lot in those years. But that brings us to the end of our episode. Uh, this has been Hindsight is Horrifying. Thanks for sticking with us, listeners, even though we've alienated several countries and groups of people. <laughs> and Titanic fans. Got, even got a little racist with some of the Lena terms. Dunham. And, yeah, for Lena Dunham. She came up way too much. But... Yes, this has been Hindsight is Horrifying. Hush you. This has been Hindsight is Horrifying. I am your hostess, Darth Jader, with my co-host, Jason. And you can actually reach us in case you want to spew vitriol at our obviously (laughs) profiling ways. Uh, You can reach us at Darth Jader at HindsightIsHorrifying.com. You can also reach me on Twitter at Darth underscore Jader underscore. And Jason, where can our fans reach you? You can send me an email at uh, Jason at hindsight is horrifying dot com. Or you can find us on our website at hindsight is horrifying dot com. So there are just a lot of ways to get in touch with us and tell us how much you hate this podcast. So really, it's it's on you, folks. Exactly. It really, is. you have a social and civic responsibility. Yeah. Keep that in mind. So until next time, have a good one.